Welcome to episode 154 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, we've got a great back catalogue of guests there, so please do check that out if this is your first episode. Uh, And if it is your first episode, uh, we've got a good one for you today. Yeah, it's an excellent one today. We're chatting with the wonderful Anne O'Brien, who uh, has had, like many of her guests, an interesting route to where she now finds herself. She started off as a history teacher, having studied that at university, but always kind of wanted to become a writer. Uh, Did some short stories, did some competitions, and then began writing historical romance, and has now found herself in this kind of quite cool world of historical fiction with a focus on the women of medieval history, perhaps, who have not been in the spotlight. Yeah, sort of underwritten yeah. characters in history, I guess. And, you know, when we've had historical, people that write historical fiction on the podcast before, we've always asked this question is, you know, how important is accuracy uh, as compared to authenticity? You know, is it yeah. important to have the exact events and dates and stuff as the history books tell us? And for Anne, as we'll learn, it is very important. So, yeah, we have a good discussion about that. Um, obviously, a discussion of when you can and can't use your imagination or artistic license when you when you're writing historical fiction like that and then she's got an interesting way of sort of plotting these novels out with multiple timelines that she's writing down uh, to work out how everything is going to fit together so it's a really interesting chat so um, we will get straight to it after a quick advert for a writer's notebook and at the end of the podcast we'll be back with some exciting news about the podcast so please do uh, stay listening at the end of the podcast for that but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head so how to overcome that fear well we all know the best advice for a writer is write seriously Get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. 
We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because obviously I know you studied history and, and then had a career as a as a teacher. Um, was writing something that was always in the background for you? No, it never was. I was a reader, right. but no thought about writing. And um, when I was teaching history, to be honest, it took up most of my time. So the thought of writing didn't really uh, come onto my horizon. Although I did write some short stories. I didn't feel I was particularly good at it. Uh, and the thought of writing a full-scale novel didn't enter my thoughts until um, I gave up teaching. Uh, and uh, we moved house and uh, life was very pleasant, but I found I didn't have enough to do with my time. And so I thought I would have uh, a go at writing a book um, just to see if I could. Yeah. And uh, because I taught history, I decided I would simply attempt um, a romance, you know, typical traditional romance. Um, and so that's what I did. And and yeah, am I right in saying that with the short stories, had, had you entered those into competitions and things like that and had some yes, success I, there? Yes, I did. I uh, I entered one at a local library. Uh, which uh, I lived in Beverly in the East East Riding, uh, and which I won to my surprise. And I also entered one, um, a very brief, uh, fifty word, uh, five hundred word one, um, nice. with the Yorkshire Post, um, and won that one. But even that didn't inspire inspire me to go on and, and write something, you know, a hundred thousand words or, no. or whatever. Um, but I suppose, yes, it made me think that it was possible that I could put two words together into a sentence, you know. Um, and so, uh, yes, I wrote romances. But then I wasn't satisfied with doing that. I decided I wanted to write about people who actually lived. Mm -hmm. And um, the ones that really took my interest uh, were medieval women. And I thought that I would try my hand at that and see, see see what would happen. Medieval women get very short shrift in history. Um, and I thought they deserved a promotion. And so I would try that. And that's I, where I started writing properly, if you like. Well, I mean, as you say, you started off writing historical romances. Um, I think this is back in 2005. And yes. You know, what was your, once you'd written, once you'd kind of finally had that thought, actually I can write a full-length novel now, and you wrote that first novel, what was your process at that point? You know, did you find an agent? How did you get the book out there? While I was writing romances, no. I simply uh, sent them to the publisher, and okay. I had no agent. But when I started thinking about uh, writing um, more in-depth and about people who... Um, the general public might not know anything about, mm -hmm. um, then I thought I needed some support. Mm -hmm. And so I bought the Writers and Artists Yearbook and looked for an agent yep. uh, and got one. Did, um, did, was that and, a long search or did, did you find one fairly quickly? Oh, yes. You have to, even with the romances, you have to be 
fairly thick skinned yeah. and I could have papered my kitchen with uh, rejection notices. <laughs> and this was back in the day when you couldn't um, even send them off by email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to be the first fashioned. three chapters in, yep. uh, you know, hard copy. And so they kept coming back to me and I kept sending them out again. Um, <laughs> but yes, you have to have to believe in what you want to do. Not easy. No. And so, so you you made this move from from romances into writing about, as you say, real people, uh, yes. albeit in a in a in your fictional sense. But you wanted to put, point the spotlight on them. But you know how when you when you decided to make that change, did it involve a change in your process? Did it have? Did you have to put more research into it, given that it was based on uh, yes. a real person? Yes, absolutely. Um, research is is a, a vast importance in this sort of thing. Otherwise, it just becomes fiction mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. rather than um, uh, historical fiction. And so um, the research has to uh, give you the absolute bedrock of what you're writing yeah. so that you know that you are um, accurate, that your characters um, have history in the background, um, that, that is accurate and no, no anachronisms, uh, nothing that's that's, uh, that's wrong and that historians will pick up as being wrong. And so research is is vital for this. Um, I think if you're writing a, a romance, um, yes, as long as your basic idea of the period you're, you're writing in is fine, uh, that, then it will work, but it won't when you're writing about historical figures. Mm-hmm. And, and, and where do you... Where do you draw the, the line then? Because as you say, it is important that you write it, that you do your research and you're not writing fiction. But then where do you, how does, how do you balance that against the needs of the story? And, you know, do you, do you have more of an authenticity slant? You know, you, is it more important to you that the, that the history is right? Or would you rather have a good story and maybe bend some facts a little bit to make sure it's still a good plot? I don't bend the facts. Um, the when I'm writing, the character, because it's a novel, my main character is the primary uh, focus for me. Okay. And the history is there in the background to um, highlight what she, it's she, because I write about women, what mm. she is doing and uh, the influences on her, but it's not at the forefront uh, because if you do that, then it sort of bolt on history mm-hmm. to the actual story of the person you want to uh, uh, develop. Yeah. And so, for example, I write in the first person as well. Um, some things have to be dealt with um, very carefully. Uh, for example, if there is a battle going on, and there often are battles in medieval history, um it doesn't work to write five sides of what's happening in the Battle of Barnet, for example, in the Wars of the Roses. Um, it has to be there as an influence on the person, but it can't be the priority. Yeah. And so it has to be dealt with carefully. So you kind of have, have the focus on this character. Uh, and am I right in saying that it's still a character that's a real person, though? Um, yes. So, oh, yes. So, you're, so you're, you're, you're still bound by, I guess, what, they did and, and where they were at certain points of the year and certain years of their life etc you know i think yes. you can't change that stuff it's all about just 
well, or or I suppose, is there parts of their life that you do change, or, or is it important to you that that you that that person's life is very true to true to life? For me, it's important that that person is true to life, and also um, the other characters who come into the story because they react with that that woman, okay. um, and they have a bearing on how her life develops, changes. Uh, ends whatever it happens to be so they are there as true historical characters um, and all the drama uh, comes from the history of what they uh, what they do Um, and so they take important roles in the story um, but uh, you know the the background things as I say uh, battles what's happening at the royal court what might be happening abroad it has to be um, sensitive shall Mm -hmm. I say, to what's going on. Otherwise, it just takes over. And anybody wanting to know about the story of these people, they find find it, and I find it, uh, a drawback to what I'm trying to write. But But, no, I I stick to what happens as accurately as I possibly can. But there must be as well some leeway or some need for you almost to expand on it in the sense that the the reason that many of these historical figures aren't known is that the the the, the history books don't feature these people in the depth that you're covering them obviously in the, in the books as well so obviously you're piecing it together from i imagine a lot of different sources and trying to build up this picture of, of who this person was and what they did but there must be gaps sometimes yes. that appear that you have to use some you know, I don't know if it's artistic license is the right phrase, but you, you have to fill in. Yeah, you have to fill <laughs> in in some way uh, to to bring the person fully to life where they aren't, perhaps in the in the history books. Yes, that that is exactly so. Um, it is accurate history as far as it goes, but then because these people have to come alive for the reader, um, there has to be an element of imagination. Um, to uh, to make them uh, shine in the pages of the book. And what are they doing, as you say, between this, this fact and that one that we know mm. about? They must be doing something. And so, um, yes, it's imagination, but I think it's got to be uh, relevant to the period of history. Sure. And me asking the question, what would this woman be doing at this point in time? Uh, she has got to be, she has a role in history. She has a role in the family. So develop it. And, and show that she is um, a person as well, with a family, if you like, uh, with the emotions uh, and so on. And so I've got no problem with that at all, mm. as long as um, in the end I can read it and think it reads correctly and it sounds right. And, you know, a reader will say, yeah, that's OK. Yeah. yeah. So so where do you come up with your ideas for these books then? Because, you know, is it a case of looking through history books, finding a character who's been maybe, you know, misplaced by the history books and, and saying this is someone which I want to tell their story? Because I suppose if you're bound by what really happened, it's not a case of really your own your own idea. It's a case of finding an idea that's never been really read yet. Uh, yes, it's it, what I do is um, think about women who have appeared in medieval history. We tend to know what they're menfolk doing Mm -hmm. whether it's brother father husband and yet 
they, although we might know their name and have um, a certain amount of information about them, they still sit on the sidelines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so history would have us believe that they do nothing but um, sit in their solar, in their, their castle, and stitch samplers and uh, um, pray for their husband's welfare in battle and um, bring up the children. And for quite a number of women, it's clear that they do more than that. And so there has got to be quite a hinterland for these women for me to to draw on. Uh, but, for example, uh, Joan of Navarre, who became the queen of Henry IV, for her, there is the um, accusation of witchcraft in her background and the fact that she was... Uh, uh, sent to Leeds Castle as a prisoner uh, because she was accused of witchcraft. It, there's an interest there to begin with. Mm-hmm. And um, it's then a case of looking at the rest of her life and seeing what can make her an interesting character. Um, another one is Constance of York, whose whole family was accused of treason. What was she doing? Was she as treasonable as the rest of them? And the answer is probably yes. Uh, and so can I make it a, a story that's worth the reading? Um, and there are a number of women like that, some of them very young, like Anne Neville, who became the wife of Richard III and so uh, uh, Queen of England. What's she got to say about this very difficult time in English history? Uh, and it is then a matter of going back to um, history books, uh, online sources, uh, and finding out as much as I can about them um, and and creating what I do is create at the beginning a timeline of their life and look at looking at what will be the most dynamic um, uh, aspects of that mm-hmm. life and seeing if if it's if it's a, a possible uh, if it's a possible book to write it has to have enough meat in it yeah sure if mm-hmm. it hasn't then I abandon them. Uh, and go on to somebody else. But if there is, and if their uh, husbands, brothers, whatever, are interesting enough, then I'll take them on uh, and put them in the centre of that story of of what uh, their family is doing. And so, I mean, it sounds in that process, in terms of your actual writing process, obviously there's a a huge amount of research that goes into it, but I imagine, are you someone then that will outline the story plan it out before you actually start writing given that you've got to pull all these threads together yes i start with a timeline of my main female character Mm -hmm. and then i have a parallel one of um the others in her family who will interact with her so side by side and then a third one of the events during her life of uh, that will have uh, an impact on that life and so i've got three to look at it's then a matter of deciding where to start. The beginning, you know, childhood is not usually a good idea, mm. but um, somewhere there is usually a, an, an event that makes me think, this is, this is where I want to start this book. This is the first time that this woman emerges from the background, perhaps, and makes a, a dynamic presence within her mm. family. And so I might actually write um, that scene thinking this may not be the beginning in the end and it won't be the end, but but let me just uh, write it uh, to see how the characters come onto the page. You know, or, uh, I don't write it. I don't write on pages anymore, but you take my, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so 
that's where I start. And if I like what happens, um, then I might write some of the other most important scenes. Uh, so they're all uh, disconnected, if you like, at that yeah. point. But I know it, it won't matter in the end. And if it looks as if they will come to life, all of them, and it will be exciting and dynamic and emotional, of course, um, then I think, yes, this will work. And so then I will probably go back to the beginning and start writing from the beginning. Although it may not be the beginning when the book is finished. I may decide it wants a, a prologue of some description mm. or uh, or perhaps it might want pushing on to me. And I don't always know where it will end. Right, uh, okay. The book will tell me that. Um, and I don't always know at, the, at this point who the other really important characters in the book will be. Uh, sometimes minor ones emerge and, and almost say, I have a role in this. Will you kindly write me in? You know, mm. and so I do. Um, so it, it's interesting. In fact, it's fascinating for me and I hope in the end for the reader. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it sounds like you've got a sort of, you have a sort of outline or timeline, as you say, but yes. you're you're also doing a bit of sort of discovery writing, as they call it, um, as well yes. as you're writing it and, and the characters. Yes sort of emerge from that as well. Yes, and when I start, I start writing sometimes, as I say, without having a clear idea of where it's going. And so the writing and the research go on side by side at that point. Uh, and I keep the writing going because it's what I enjoy. But the, the research has to keep going. And it may, in fact, change if I find something different. It may change a, a scene that I've written previously. And it's something I have to accept uh, and I do, and and I find that interesting as well. And it, it sounds like, in terms of the when you're doing, you know, planning or plotting, a lot of that is is almost done for you, I guess, because you've got that kind of real life historical through line that you're following and that you don't want to deviate from. So it, yeah. it's 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 a case of working out where about on that person's historical line is the most interesting time to 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 write about. Yes, it is. It, and so anything that is not um, very uh, dramatic or of great interest, I'm quite prepared to omit. So a lot of early life sometimes. Um, I mean, I, I've written about Cecily Neville, the, the wife of Richard, Duke of York, and decided to come into the story when um, she's a mature woman with, with a full-grown family, mm-hmm. because at that point... She makes um, a stand in history at Ludlow Castle, and it seemed the ideal part to open up the story and Cecily's life, uh, whereas what she might be doing back at Raby in her childhood didn't interest me greatly, and I wasn't sure I could make it great for the reader either. <laughs> but Ludlow, at that point, when her husband leaves her and she's left on her own with her youngest children in the centre of in the centre of Ludlow, with the rampaging Lancastrian army coming in, that seemed to me the ideal point to start mm-hmm. writing. Yeah, and, but it's and, a judgment on my part. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And and in terms of uh, a sort of, do you have a daily routine? Do you have a word target every day? Do you work nine to five? How how does the actual process of writing work for you? I'm I'm a morning writer. I start about eight o'clock. And apart from a brief coffee break, I write through till um, somewhere between 12 and 1. Um, I don't have a word uh, 
aim because if I am um, writing from from scratch, I might get through two or three thousand words uh, roughly. You know, um, if I am editing, then it's much less because at that point I'm polishing. So I simply do a morning's work, and uh, when the deadline approaches, <laughs> then you know I start to worry if I'm not there. Uh, but uh, um, I, as I say, uh, I, I don't worry about number of words by any means. Um, I, and that's it really. It depends where I am in the book. Mm-hmm. If I am at the beginning of writing, then it, it's another chapter to, to attack and see where it takes me. If it's editing, then it's painstaking um, chapter after chapter, removing things I don't like, um, adding... Um, because I, I do a number of drafts. Um, it's rather like layers of a cake. Mm-hmm. And the first one is the storyline, to get that in place. And then the second one is to um, really polish up the characters and make sure they're doing what they ought to be doing mm-hmm. and that they're all interesting and important. And then the third one is adding the, the historical detail, if you like, uh, to make it come alive, the costume, the jewellery, the the. Uh, the family events in the background um, and, and that, that comes third to, to really boost the, the, yeah. the book to be something of interest and then the fourth one is where it all comes together I hope uh, and that's the, the final the final polish nice. yes well your latest book is A Marriage of Fortune um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what the book's about I knew about the Paston family, this letter-writing family from Norfolk, simply because um, they uh, comment frequently on what's happening in the Wars of the Roses. Mm -hmm. So as a resource, they are excellent. What I didn't realise some time ago is that in the 400-plus letters that were discovered in this cache, over 100 of them were written by a woman, Margaret Paston. She was a Paston by marriage, not by birth, but um, something like 107 letters were hers. And this, of course, is unusual. We know that there are literate women during the Middle Ages, but they tend to be high-profile women like uh, Julian of Norwich um, or Marjorie Kemp um, and people whose names are well known. But here was a woman from a middling sort of family who apparently was extremely literate and went out of her way to to write letters. So what had she got to say for herself? She didn't actually write all the letters physically. Uh, She dictated a lot of them, but she always uh, signed them in her own name at the end. And the letters uh, clearly have her voice behind them loud and clear you can tell it's a a letter by Margaret so I decided it was worth my while looking at what she was writing about if it was simply lists of um, commodities that she wanted her sons and her husband to send her from London then there was nothing there to to interest me greatly but it soon became clear that she wrote about everything you could imagine in a family and this is when my interest began to spike for her. She writes about uh, family disputes, about um, problems with her children. When this book starts, A Marriage of Fortune, she's a widow, in fact, with seven children. 
and she writes about the problems that they bring her. Um, difficult sons who won't uh, be o as obedient as she would like. Um, sons who don't get to grips with forming marriage alliances. And then the younger ones who are typical youngsters, you know, and uh, difficult to pin down. Um, then there is the problem of uh, the legal situation for the family. They just uh, had inherited a castle, cased a castle, which would bring them up from peasantry to uh, gentry. Uh, but there was every problem that they would lose that castle because of the enemies in, in uh, Norfolk. And then there are the girls in the family who won't make the marriages whom, who, who she wants them to make. Marriage is all important, of course, for this uh, level of family. They must make good marriages to bring them land and finance and good connections with important uh, families. And the girls are as disobedient as their brothers when this happens. And so when I discovered all this, how could I not write about them? Mm. Uh, and um, I, I've written the first of the, the two novels already, but this one opens up with them just about to lose Case to Castle, and they're faced with a siege and all the other problems that Margaret writes about. And I had to write about them. Excellent. And uh, you said, obviously, there that you've written previous books with this, with these characters and stuff. Yes. How how do you know how many books it will take to tell the story of these people? Um, when I started writing the the prequel, uh, the Royal Game, it ended um, quite naturally with um, Margaret thinking that life was going to be fairly straightforward from here on, the end of, of that book. Uh, and suddenly she finds that they have got a siege on their hands and their castle is, has got an army around it. And so that was the first one. And the second book naturally followed from there uh, when uh, her sons have to take on the siege. They have to get allies uh, to give them some support against this main enemy, the Duke of Norfolk, who is far more powerful than, than they are. And then in the background, as I said, there is the story of the daughters and the uh, the terrible uh, situations they put Margaret in. And so it, it fell naturally into two. Uh, mm. And th there is not a third one there at the end of it. Um, I did look at it to see if there was, but no, it ends very uh, neatly. Um, at, when, at Margaret's death and the um, uh, the family history is taken on by one of her sons and his wife, who is quite a famous woman. Um, she is uh, uh, the woman, she's called Marjorie Bruce, who wrote the first Valentine letter uh, mm. to John Paston. Um, and, of course, it's a well-known letter in history. Um, she she dictated it to a, a clerk in the household as well, even though it's a love letter. Uh, but she writes about him as being her true Valentine, and she draws a little heart at the end, which is all very sweet and, and romantic. But but quite interesting that um, a medieval uh, gentry family would do this, mm -hmm. and it, it ends with with her and her husband John taking on uh, the family into um, what will be uh, into the Tudors. 
but there is not the same level of of what to write about there. It ends naturally yeah, uh, yeah. with this point. It's funny. There's obviously a desire to I think to read these types of stories right now. I mean, there's obviously you've got yourself, you've got people like Carol McGrath with the Mistress Cromwell, you've got Miranda Marlins with the Puritan Princess. Um, you know, is, is there a have you felt that there's a real um, urge right now? in the public for these types of um, historical stories, more than there was in the past, perhaps? Yes, I think that's true. Um, I think one thing to wean people away from um, is that it's always got to be about the royal family mm-hmm. um, because they are endlessly interesting and entertaining and popular. Um, and I think once that the reading public realises that... Uh, this middling sort of, of people um, are as interesting in their own light. And I, I've had some wonderful reviews of, of, uh, uh, um, of the Pastons. Once they realise that, then, yes, it, it takes their interest. And, and to show, yes, they're interested that they, they cl- they're climbing the social ladder and mm-hmm. becoming gentry, aristocracy, whatever, uh, but that the, these families exist and are interesting in their own right. And um, particularly since the Pastons give so much detail about what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the main ones that is also one of the famous ones is that Marjorie's elder daughter uh, insists on marrying the bailiff. Now, this family didn't want that to happen. They wanted marriage to a, a, a gentry family. The bailiff came from a, a shopkeeper's family. Um, and what happens is the scandal behind it. And, of course, scandals are always popular with the reading public, whichever level of society they are in. And so uh, this this story within um, uh, A Marriage of Fortune between uh, Marjorie Paston and Richard Calais, the the bailiff, uh, is a main part of it and shows the the heartache that it puts the families through. Um, And, yes, it's very popular. And uh, I think I'm right in saying that, that you've got a sort of uh, rough uh, schedule, it appears, of a book a year almost. Um, I mean, how far ahead are you working? Do you ha- Are you working on the next book already? Is it already done? You know, what, what, what stage is that at? Yes, in fact, um, the, this uh, marriage of, of fortune, uh, it took a bit longer to get it to press for all sorts of reasons. And so... Um, while we've been going through the end end bits of putting it together uh, and the uh, editing and so forth, um, I am uh, well on the way to, to finishing the next book. In fact, my deadline is the end of January, so it's a good thing that, that I am. Um, I've gone back to uh, the Welsh Marches where I live um, with a, a, another woman who um, was put in a very difficult position in society um, and... Uh, and a family that's absolutely covered with treason at this time. I'm writing about Roger Mortimer, Earl Mortimer, who, of course, is notorious uh, as the one who had the affair with uh, Isabella, the Queen, a wife of uh, Edward II, um, and his wife. And his wife, uh, jo- uh, Joan de Jeanville, was a, an heiress, um, an important woman in her own right. And I thought it would be fascinating to write about how a woman of her class and her uh, standing in society coped with the humiliation of being put in this position by a husband whom she thought in early life she had a very close relationship with. Um, They 
they seem to have a very uh, affectionate, if not a love affair. They had 10 children who all um, lived on into adult life. And suddenly, uh, because of uh, his, he had to go into exile because of treason against the king. And he came back with uh, Isabella, his mistress. And how would she cope with that? And I thought it deserved writing about. <laughs> so that's what it is at the moment. Excellent. And and as you research, do you you must always pick up hints of uh, you know potential other stories that you might want to explore in the future. Um, yes, you mean as I'm right as I'm yeah. researching one, do I pick up another? Yeah. Yes, and in fact, the one I think I will uh, write uh, next is um, about Anne Beecham, who is the great-great-granddaughter, I think I've got enough greats in there, of, uh, of Roger and, and Joan. And, of course, she married um, the Earl of Warwick, Warwick the Kingmaker. And so it will take us into back to um, 15th century. I keep swapping centuries quite happily here, <laughs> but back into the 15th century to show how she will cope uh, with um, a situation where her husband becomes the arch traitor, if you like, uh, and dies in battle, and she is is punished for it. It's it's the lot of women in society at this time mm-hmm. that um, whatever their husbands do, the women tend to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Joan Joan de Jeanville um, ends up in prison in Skipton Castle for uh, and is in prison for almost five years because of what her husband uh, gets involved with. And Anne Beecham is is loses all her land and her title and has to go into. Uh, living in, in sort of isolation because of Warwick. And I, I think it's, it's worth looking at how they cope with this and mm-hmm. how they survive and how they come back to, um, uh, to being uh, part of society again. And so, yes, it's ongoing. And I do come across people, I think, oh, yes, that will make a really good character for a future book. Excellent. It is great because we've, we've said before on, on the podcast that, you know, historical fiction is a great way of kind of, you know, learning about history by the back door. You know, you don't. It's yes. you don't almost don't realize that you're learning about something because you're reading it in a kind of. It feels like fiction almost. It feels like it's just a story, but it's actually there's all that. The not just a person's storyline, but also the background characters, the setting, all what the technology, what was the way of life, all that kind of stuff just seeps through, and it's it's, it's a great way to get a kind of snapshot of of a textbook, but in a really in more much more interesting format. Yes, I, I think what you say is absolutely spot on there. And a number of people who uh, communicate with me on Facebook, social media and what have you, or written reviews say, well, I didn't like history at school, but mm-hmm. um, reading it in this format with a story uh, pri- uh, as the primary part, but, but the history in the background, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And that, I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd met it like this earlier. Uh, yeah. And yes, it, it can uh, it can drive people to um, to see what what is attractive there, and that history is simply not facts on a page, but it's got people in it yeah. who um, th- they may have different influences on them. Uh, for example, we don't see the influence on the whole um, of religion or of lack of independence for women or of the power of the family behind women. But apart from that, uh, they are, are very much like us. They they tell the same 
stories at home. They they laugh, they cry, they mourn, they lose people in terrible heartache, uh, but have great happiness and, and achievement too. And I think once we realise that people in history are not so different from us, then it opens up uh, history uh, to a lot more people, mm-hmm. which is what I hope I do. Yeah, I, th- nice. I think I think you definitely do. What was the last book that you read? Um, right, the last one I uh, I read was in fact crime, and I'm not a big reader of crime, but I like the um, the books uh, by Ellie Griffiths um, oh, yeah. about um, the uh, archaeologist. Mm-hmm. So that it brings in crime and um, bringing up the bodies, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and modern ones, but also historic ones and detectorists and, and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on wonderful atmospheric place in Norfolk. Um, so I, I enjoy that. Uh, and that was the last one I read, uh, the, nice. the recent one. Um, what about the last film that you watched? I'm not a big watcher of films, but the, the programmes I do enjoy, uh, and I'm thinking of television particularly, uh, and one that's starting up again uh, in the new year is um, uh, Digging for Britain, which right. I'm a newcomer to. Uh, I understand it's into I've heard of that one. Oh, it, it, uh, it, it's um, Alice Roberts, and she oh, yeah. brings okay. together um, a number of, of digs every, every week, perhaps six of them from around the country, and puts them all together so that we look at what's happening in uh, in uh, archaeology in various places in Britain, uh, and they are fascinating. And because they are short snippets, it really brings an idea of, uh, of what's going on. And um, I, f- I find them really enjoyable. And there's a new one coming in the new year, oh, uh, nice. and so I can't, you know, really very good. And talking of detectorists, I, I really enjoyed that series too, the, yeah, the comedy good. one, yeah. and that's coming yeah. back at Christmas, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the very very last thing I always do is a super quick fire either or, and I always say there's no right answer here apart from one perhaps. But we'll start off with. Uh, Hilary Mantel or C.J. Sansom? Hilary Mantel. Yes, uh, I really, really enjoyed those books. Yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah, yes. And um, I enjoyed the television uh, presenting of it oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought it was done extremely well. And the characters were so true to how she had written them. Uh, they they were splendid, yes. Brilliant. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. Night Owl I rarely or... get to the cinema. I live in the depths <laughs> of the country. <laughs> uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird. Yes. Um, music or no music when you're writing? Um, difficult one. No music when I am um, doing the, the nitty-gritty of first writing. When mm. I am editing, I like music in the background. Uh, and I like... Um, I like medieval stuff. I like choral chants and that sort All of right, thing. Nice. That's atmospheric. Um, and uh, yeah, great. Um, and the last one, audiobook or ebook? Ebook. Although I see the value of audio, but I like ebooks. Yes, I finally found someone who backs me up. <laughs> ebooks. 
Here we go. This is the start, I can tell. This is the groundswell, <laughs> grassroots movement coming well, in. We, we always ask our guests that question, yeah. and, and very, very few uh, say ebook at that, at that point. So oh. Ebook is a short, a short shift. I'm glad to find that someone else who, uh, who will take it to their grave with me. That's fine. <laughs> I will, yes, and I will too. <laughs> Excellent. So a rare ebook pick there for you, Tarek. Although up against I audiobooks, I've... I do feel it's a bit of a cheat. No, no, no. Don't devalue the win. And a win is a win. An ebook win is just as valid against an audiobook <laughs> as it is real book. Because audiobooks and real books are crap. And ebooks are, are, are the best. And so that's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, well, uh, thanks very much to Anne for, for coming on to the podcast. Obviously puts off an awful lot of research into her books when she's, when she's writing oh, these. Oh, totally. And... You know, your question about, you know, is it easier for people to learn about history via the medium of, of fiction? And I think that is definitely true a lot of the time. And, yeah, I think you so. know, you'll, you'll, you'll certainly get people more willing to read about these things than if it's hidden away in a, in a history book. Oh, yeah, I, I'm definitely one of those people. I, I will happily read a historical fiction if it's a kind of fast paced thriller or something that I'm also learning about stuff. But the, But if it's a dry textbook or lecture or documentary I'd probably be less excited yeah. to, to watch it. So um, yeah thanks to Anne for coming on the podcast you can pick up her books, we'll put a link in the podcast description now uh, this is the last episode of this current run of episodes, <gasps> exactly but but we will be back in a few weeks and we have, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast some exciting news because uh, not content with this podcast taking up most of my life um, we're going to start an exciting new second podcast, video podcast, Ooh. which is going to be of great use to everyone that's interested in writing in any field. Um, we can't say too much more about it just now, but the plan is that we will still have these regular weekly episodes, interviews with authors and stuff, but there will be, as we say, a second video podcast as well, which is going to be of great use to writers and hopefully of interest so um we will tease more of that i suspect in the build-up to its launch but we just wanted to let you know about that and get you excited now given that we won't have a new episode for at least two or three uh, weeks but if anyone has any questions or comments perhaps wanted to know more about this exciting new project that we're launching they can always get in touch with us a number of ways the first of which is a, is a tweet in the twitter machine which is at uk page one or they can send us uh, an email to uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk or they can reach us on Mastodon, which is at writing.exchange slash at page one pod. Yeah, that's right. Look at that. A little, a little final episode of the season gift. For a, you bonus. a bonus. <laughs> a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you did enjoy this episode as ever, uh, please do take time to rate and review us because that, that really helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast and keep this podcast going, even as we uh, launch into this mad idea of a new podcast as well. So um, we will leave you with that tease and hope you have a good few weeks and we will be back uh, pretty soon with more great guests. See you later. Thank you.